Welcome to Poet Waffle episode 10, where me, Daniel Cockrell, invites a poet round my house for a chat. And during that chat, we explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are neglected by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome into my shed, poet, spoken word artist, um, maybe hip hop artist, yeah. maybe, don't know, um, the wonderful Paul Cree. Hey, hello, hello. Hello Paul, how's it all going? Yeah, good mate, pleasure to be here, enjoying the red bush tea, some yeah. nice change. Yeah, yeah well, I've run out of uh, builder's tea, unfortunately. Right. I'm enjoying this though, it's fresh. Yeah, good. I, I agree, it's a cleaner, I find it a cleaner taste. Uh, yeah. For that London water. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't, I've, I'm on episode 10. Double figures, mate. Um, yet to find, I keep saying I'm inviting, it's called Poet Waffle, I'm inviting poets around my house, but I'm yet to find someone out of all those other previous who actually say, yeah, I would call myself a poet. Would you label yourself as that? I don't know. Uh, Sometimes, ask me today, I, I, that's what I always say, right? I'll, I'll give you an answer today, give, ask me again tomorrow, I'll give you a different answer. Yeah. But I think, it, the, yeah, why not? Yeah, why yeah. not? Because you, you got into it through hip-hop music, I suppose. I did, yeah. I was rapping and emceeing. Uh, I actually, so I'd done that for quite a few years. So I was writing you know, rap lyrics. Yeah. Um, and then I met a girl in, in Brighton who told me she wrote poems. So I guess it must have, at the time, set a, set a little light bulb off in my head. I'm yeah. thinking, well, I can I can sit here and write rhythmical rap verses that rhyme. I was like, well, I don't know, I can take the beat away and maybe I'll give this thing a go. Yeah. I remembered, I remember doing it at primary school. Yeah. And rolled doll and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of went from there, really. And it became a vehicle for me to, I guess with music, right, especially with rapping, I was always trying to be too serious, I think. Right, yeah. And my mates would say, I did a couple of, I used to MC quite regularly and we made a few tracks and then as a little side thing for a while, we had this like spoof grime crew when grime first came about that I did with a couple of mates. And uh, I guess it was a sort of piss take because we were coming from out of London we used to put on nights and quite often there'd be there'd be a lot of trouble but we get these kids who'd come in with all of this like it's almost like fake London attitude it's like yeah. I, I know your mum mate <laughs> like, you, go, you, you play tennis <laughs> so we kind of riffed on all of that yeah yeah and, but my mates were like oh, Paul you're, you're way better when you're being funny yeah yeah and you're not taking it serious it's like ah oh. but with the poem stuff I became you know I've always been a bit peculiar in certain ways and it became a vehicle for that yeah. So I wasn't really overthinking it. I was just using it to, to have you know, to explore these other things that I probably would never do. Not then, anyway. Yeah, in in that other environment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it gave you the freedom to do because people did, do yeah. uh, co comics do it the other way, don't they? It gives them the freedom not to be funny. 
yeah, so, yeah, you know, and yeah, if yeah. you're if you're on a on a stage that says you have to be funny, then poetry can give you that freedom to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and usually, you know, I, most of the time, the audience are really receptive to whatever's going on up on the stage, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah it gives yeah. you a real freedom to. I remember all those early days of when we set up night. There were a lot of people doing, you know, grime uh, yeah. lyrics on stage yeah. to the to the the beats and the bars that should, yeah. I don't know what it is 16 16 bars, bars standard yeah. verse length uh, I don't know if that's a I don't know if that happens as much anymore because I don't know you I, I don't see as much but definitely yeah, in the early know. days it was but now everyone goes well I'm doing I'm on that poetry stage yeah they tend to go I'm not going to do the I might do one grime thing but I can still I can write this other stuff you know? yeah I remember seeing that a lot I, I don't get up so much anymore so I couldn't really comment on what's happening now but I do remember a phase um, of that happening and what I used to think it was maybe maybe, maybe I'm generalising here but I, I, I certainly saw this and to an extent probably if I'm being honest saw it in myself a little bit as well whereas you're coming in as someone that can rap and you're like I can do this Yeah. watch and get up there I'm going to smash this you know, these people can't do what I do yeah and then realizing quite quickly, there's a, there's a you take a beat away, and suddenly you're very exposed. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it, and everyone's listening that little bit more intently yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. a, a lot of it to me was that kind of bravado or arrogance or overconfidence of coming into a world that perhaps stereotypically wasn't the crowd that they would be used to. And we're, we're talking about stereotyping here, be a much more mixed crowd, so they can yeah. maybe go in and boss it. Yeah. And I saw it fail a few times. Yeah, yeah. And I could probably say that for myself a couple of times as well. I think it's, yeah. it is probably the listening thing. Yeah. Because even if, um, you know, you're doing something like that and the audience are listening really intently and enjoying it, it can be mistaken of, oh, this isn't going down well. And yeah. actually it's going down yeah, really yeah, well yeah, because yeah. they're just, they're listening to the yeah. words, listening to what you're doing. And maybe yeah. in those other environments, there might be some more whooping and, shouting and cheering for the bits you know on the breakbeat or whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, you probably won't get that in certain poetry audiences they're, they're, no. they're listening to the, the words and they're they're trying really hard to work with whatever's going on up there isn't it yeah yeah it's always i've had that a few times um yeah you do a gig and you come off and you're like oh i didn't really didn't, didn't really feel like that went well and then someone will come and talk to you afterwards and give you uh, the totally different impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just I don't know. It's a strange X factor with audiences, right? There's some there's some mystical power that governs how they how they respond. Yeah, they're like a flock of what yeah. Do you, you know, we get starlings and they fly yeah. in formation. A murmuration. A murmuration. They become yeah. like a murmuration, right? Because it might sometimes it might I don't know. It might be one person who perhaps is a little bit off and then that can set it for the rest of the audience and then they feel like they're a little bit yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't mean they're not listening. Yeah. No, they need that, that dance that the starlings do. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the audience need the same dance when they come through the door. Yeah, they do. And it, it, I don't know what it is. There's an, but to make a night that's just very, very good to a night that's extraordinary, the audience have to play more, probably more than half, more than 50% of the work. <laughs> yeah, well, like a prime example of that would be I bang to me when it was in its uh the latter days of the Roebuck I guess or when I was there anyway yeah. it was it felt like 
they were doing that. They knew what to expect upon going in. And it was like, oh, you, as an audience member, you've got to go into like this carnival now. Yeah. And you've got to play your part. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then the others that will go on stage, they'll do their bit. And yeah. it felt like it became like this sort of dance. Uh, I don't know, I'm getting too abstract here, but it was banging. <laughs> but even even though all the hun- the hundreds of shows that we've done, I I could there's only I don't know how many of it is probably six to ten shows out of all the hundreds that you go that was it was on a it was almost electric was coming yeah, into the yeah. room and you could never recreate it and it's not down to what acts you got on it's just that that act at that time did the perfect thing. And the audience that came in that night was feeling it. And and then you try and recreate that again. And it won't be, you try and put it on again, you couldn't do it. And I don't know what that is and where it comes from, but it is that's that, it, the, everything's right, the feeling's yeah, right, yeah. everyone on stage yeah. is feeling okay. Yeah. All the audience, you say there's no one in that audience who's got any negativity in them. They're all willing it to be good and they're all joining in at the right time. And then you suddenly create something that you think, God, oh, where did that come from? And then you try and do it again. And it, you just think, well, it was good, but it wasn't as good as... And it's not even to do with the amount of audience, because it could be a, a half-full audience that creates something that you think, God, oh, that was great. It, they, they bring something that's different. And it could be, you can have a completely full audience, and they're just, they're waiting for you to, to create the magic on yeah, stage. And yeah. you're like, well... It has to come from somewhere else as well. It has to, all the elements have to be right, and I don't even now. I don't know how to create that every time. But I, I, I think you go about it the right way. It's like facilitating the environment for that to happen, right? Yeah. Do you know what? I, I tell you, just just come to mind. Um, the last time I, th- I performed at Bang at the Roebuck, I can't, it must have been over four years ago. Because about a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, an old, old friend of my family's, he was my dad's manager when my dad was gigging in the 70s and 80s, uh, a guy called Kevin, and he passed away. But he had a stroke four years back and was in their home for the last four years. But not long before he had the stroke, uh, he came to that yeah. gig. He came with my dad yeah, and yeah. did it at the Roebuck. So bearing in mind, he'd been around, he was a real, he's a real character, he was like an entrepreneur, like he managed my dad, he used to run events and all of this. And like, my dad persuaded him to, to come up on the train, not to London, yeah. to come at the gig. Yeah. He phoned me up the next day, he was on the phone for me for two hours about how enthused he was about the whole thing. Amazing. He felt like this was the future and yeah. uh, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't get enough. I mean, he was a guy that could talk. Yeah, yeah. Talk till the end of days anyway, but... He was really blown away by the whole thing. You know, he they'd seen the, the folk punk thing and all yeah, of that. Yeah. He'd been around yeah, and yeah. he toured America with a band, but he's like, No, no, this is this is it. You know, this is it, this is I mean he used that phrase of the new rock and roll or whatever, but it doesn't yeah. matter. I think cause it was just he was so in he thought it was the dog's bollocks. We had it la- the last show, so uh, the last show we're made up of myself, uh, Martin Gorton. Rob Alton and Laurie Bolger. Yeah. And on that show, Rob couldn't make it because he had previews somewhere else of another show. And Martin couldn't make it because he was on holiday somewhere. And it was a bank holiday Monday. So the crowd there was the crowd was half full at the Soho Theatre. And me and Laurie were like, oh man, this is going to be hard. Uh, and we had Gemma Rogers on and we had Matt Harvey on. 
and but it was a really beautiful thing because the same thing happened people came up yeah, afterwards and said that was fantastic and it brought a real different feel to it and because I think we were so nervous about it going oh we, we had to work really hard we probably upped our game a little bit and the people in the audience who had never seen it before what their expectations were probably lower yeah, than yeah. what we usually and so that creates a real uh, I was going to say so what did your dad do you always talk about your dad I did, yeah. was he was he was he a singer-songwriter? Well, he was, yeah. Uh, so, he... I guess at his, in his heyday, he, were, he was in that kind of folk scene, right. which I think, I believe it was quite big at the time. In the so 60s it, or 70s? 70s. Or, yeah. Uh, but and my dad was sat between somewhere, between uh, like a punk sort of folk guy. He would tell jokes and right. in between his songs. He, would, yeah, he was yeah. an act, right? A yeah. turn. So he would do silly things. But he had a, quite a belt-in voice. Yeah. And he'd write these songs. Uh, he, re- he loves blues. Yeah. So he could really belt out certain songs. Um, some of them were serious. Some of them were funny. Uh, did you see him do stuff on stage when you were smaller? Or what sort of age did you recognise, oh, my dad's this person who does I this? I don't remember him not being that. Because of where... Uh, everyone's not everyone so many people I would bump into uh, in the area that we lived in down by Gatwick Hawley Crawley Red Hill there would would always be someone that knew who he was there used to be this night that used to run down there uh, by Gatwick and it was was as far as I know it was a big night people used to come from miles to go to it and it was run by this guy Kevin which is where they met uh, but it, they they printed up records and I'd always say oh, I remember seeing your dad at the checkers I remember seeing your dad at the checkers yeah, I yeah. and I, as a kid I hated it as a oh, teenager really? I hated it and uh, I didn't want to know because you was a bit embarrassed by embarrassed. it yeah yeah, yeah. embarrassed yeah. and uh, also I I can't remember what I was just going to say uh, oh yeah so, some, when I was at, because we went to middle school so we had, because the Catholic school system there, and they closed it, it was primary, middle, then yeah, secondary, yeah. which yeah. they closed the middle schools. But it, sometimes I remember him coming to play at like the school fate, right, like the right. school would ask yeah. him. And he'd be up there doing kind of Irish songs, and I did like, did like, did like, 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 and yeah. like, what's your dad doing? <laughs> Shut up, leave me alone. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't receptive to it. Did and, you, uh, do you think it influenced, because do you think it gave you uh, a sense of, oh, I could get on stage? And do stuff. No, I didn't actually. Yeah. Because I'm I'm one of seven and I'm number oh, six. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So most of my siblings, at some point or other, have all either done music. Uh, most of them have done music, or like one or two of them did oh, wow. like, drama and stuff. And they were. Uh, I was never particularly confident. I wanted to play football. Yeah. All right. But I wasn't really confident enough. I kind of wanted to forge my own path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we were expected to do music. You are Scott Creed. Oh wow! And uh, you you you're going to do music like your dad and my mum played too. Uh, but I don't know. I was I, I was just I just wanted to be normal like the other yeah, kids yeah. who had like you know going on holidays to Florida and I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. but you know, yeah. the funny thing what when I started writing poems, I don't know how because I had no very little uh, knowledge of forms and things like that. But I would start writing these things that were essentially like little stories and would quite often wind up in a punchline. Yeah. And then I remember I, I remember having a moment when I lived in this bedsit when I'd started doing all of this stuff and I'd written a few maybe 
I was thinking, this is just like what my dad did. Yeah, yeah. He would write these songs with a punchline at the end. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, it's like... Turning to your dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And my dad was a... I think he had a, a reputation as a really good stage performer. He'd go on... Uh, um, yeah, and just, I don't know, just, just going nuts. What was, <laughs> like he, what was his stage name? What did it? What did w- he wounded John Scott Cree. That good name, his, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wounded John Scott Cree. Wound, wounded John for short. Mm. Yeah, he's he's still going. He's Great. got all his stuff up on YouTube and because I think we, we, you know we're sitting in my shed like because of all we didn't really have books growing up. You know, my dad was a window cleaner. Yeah. My mum made TV aerials in a factory. Yeah. So there was no sense of oh, I can go and do stuff on stage. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Even when I started doing it, I didn't know what we were doing. I was just like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I didn't know there was a, a bigger scene or people yeah. had done in the past. But with my kids, because they see books and they see me making books and writing, I think it definitely is influence. They they write their own books. At, like look, they're oh, six, yeah. but they they have a sense of oh, I can I can do this, you know. Whereas I I probably would never had a sense of. I remember writing when I was eight, seventeen or eighteen. Of, of it wasn't a bucket list; it was things to do list, and it was like. Um, yeah, publish a book and I had no idea how I was going to do yeah. that and so when I did publish my first book it was just like oh god I did it you know how did I do that yeah. I had no idea I, yeah. I still don't know how I did it but yeah. it was it was because I was I wanted to do it and you talk the, the more people you meet you end up meeting someone and said I, I'll help you do I can do that with you and do you're what, like you know it's, it's been, oops. Oh, sorry, that's alright. That's just, clatter. What are you breaking? I've just knocked the gun. The, uh, gun. the banks of the gun. Oh, gun. Oh God, sorry. There you go. That's alright, mate. I'm gonna, gonna get a, trust it to make a noise. So for those you don't know, in the sh- banks of the gun show at the start, there was a flag gun that we fire, and uh, Paul's just decided to throw it across <laughs> the room. That's because I get animated <laughs> when I start talking. Dance made me think about something. Do you know what? I was writing this piece yesterday. Um, I just met this, I don't know, experimenting, but I guess the crux of it was, you're growing up, it's very easy to look at the like the worst bits, especially now where it feels like yeah. certain um, negative things, you can, it can become a currency, right? Yeah. So, and I've definitely done this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We grew up, we didn't have any money, right? We were, we were seven kids and mum and dad just about having the mortgage, right? There was no, there was no Air Max and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. wearing them now, or we didn't have a car. But I, but I was thinking, well, but you know what we did have was 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 books, and my mum and dad were relentless. Like you've got to read, you've got to right, read, right, you've right, got yeah. to read, you've got to learn, you've got to learn, and that to me is like, that's priceless. Yeah, we had we had music, so my dad was music, into. Yeah, music, yeah. My dad was into country and western, so we had a load of country and western music. We had Buddy Holly records. Yeah, my dad liked Buddy Holly. We had, but we had things like Pink Floyd, Gatefolds, and we had, uh, so I loved all the artwork. Mm. We had Queen records, and we had uh, War of the Worlds, which was just, the, that was a massive influence on me, because it was yeah. narrated, and it was, yeah. it was just music behind, but it was a story, and it was spoken word. And yeah. I was just like, it, <laughs> and I, I know there's loads of people like, Talk about it. Scroobius Pips, a massive fan of that War of the Worlds. Jeff Wayne, and I know Nathan Pennington, who's appeared in episode two, he's a massive fan of War of the Worlds. And I think it had a massive influence on people. You know, it was before hip hop and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it, it led into 
into that. I can still, you know, recite some of the things from it. You know, I wonder that, right? You know, we were saying earlier before we came on to record. I, I really like listening to podcasts. I like yeah. listening to people yeah. talk. And I, I, sometimes I wonder. We didn't have War of the Worlds, but what we did have was this tiny little single deck tape player, right? Yeah. And we had these tapes, these story tapes. I had them, yeah. And they would put them on at night time. And I, I, I'd, we had like Peter Rabbit. Uh, I had Star Wars one. We had a Star Wars one. We had a record, yeah. actually, a little little Brilliant. seven inch. Yeah. Uh, and it was like done. turn the page when R two D two beeps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turn the page, and we yeah. had. Um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's like when Indy cracks his whip, turn the page. Mate, we had I love one. That. Yeah, yeah, we had. Fantastic. I, I can remember. We had a, a seven inch. Yeah. I remember seeing it, and he yeah. had a little fold bit. Yeah, I think I, I think we had, and they were amazing because, yeah. and we had a little record player upstairs yeah. that was my granddad's that he'd given us, and we could play, and you could stack the records up. It was on one of those records where you could stack, oh, so that it would play one after the other, like a jukebox. It was amazing. <laughs> so you could stack, you could, I think you could stack up like 20 records, oh, wow. sit like seven inch singles on it, and then oh. it would drop, the arm would go back and it'd drop the next record on. Oh. It was really clever. Well, and, the, uh, and the needle would get higher and higher on this. There's <laughs> something about sitting in the dark and, and mm. hearing a, a, a narrator's voice uh, and a soundtrack, and I don't, there's something quite comforting. And maybe that's why yeah. I like listening to podcasts. Yeah. And, I always think that's probably why I got into poetry and that's yeah, why yeah. I liked it. It was probably the just listening to people say words out loud. Yeah. More than, you know, I yeah. like them on the page, but I think the thing that got me into them first was, you know, when I saw Adrian Mitchell on stage, mm. I didn't know what happened to me. He, one minute I was cr crying from what he was saying, and then I was laughing. And I, he took me on such an amazing journey in one hour that no film has ever done. Where was that? That was in Brighton. Poli no, it wasn't in the politics. It was in the art college there. And okay. I didn't even know he was. I just went along because it was National Poetry Day in 96, October 10th, I think. And uh, went along just to see this thing because I started to be interested in mm. poetry. And I, I've never seen a poetry gig. I'd seen John Hegley mm. on stage. And that was like, okay, that's great. I want to try and mimic that. But I'd never seen someone do something I'd, like Adrian Mitchell did. And that was the thing that I went, I'd done what he just did, but I want to do that. Yeah. And that was when I sort of went on the journey of trying to discover what it was he'd done. And uh, yeah, that's what I tried to keep is, you know, what he managed to do with an audience. I was blown. And it, it probably didn't have the same effect on the, on the audience members as it did on me, but I was just shaken to the core of like, okay, that's it. And the, to this, you know, that's, you know, I don't know how old I was. I was 21, mm. 22. Mm. So it's over 20, it's 23, 24 years ago. And I haven't flinched, you know, I haven't moved yeah. from my, oh, that's what I'm doing. And there's nothing, nothing anyone can do about it. It's like, don't you think you should get a proper job? And there's been a few times yeah. when I've tried yeah. to get a proper job, but yeah. it's never worked. You know, because yeah. it always comes back to that bit of like, oh, that's what I'm meant to be doing. What yeah. what he did on that stage at that moment. Um, yeah, am I, well, listen, we are well over two thirds of the way through. Really? Oh, uh, yeah, this podcast. Uh, and at this moment, uh, we like to ask the guest the big question. <laughs> the Poet Waffle big question. It could be something along the lines, what is the most valuable thing you've ever lost? 
uh, which I can't remember who went for that one. Maybe it was uh, Laurie Bolger or Maria Ferguson in episode four and five. But um, the question that you've gone for is what makes a good relationship? Yes. The uh, re- reason I chose this one, I suppose it's something that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment as uh, I'm later on this year getting married. Get married. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very Brilliant. excited. I've been married 10 years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, how's it going? Or maybe you can give me some advice. In a well, minute. Martin Galton, who runs Banks of the Gun with me, when I said I was getting married, uh, and I've been with my wife, what, uh, 17 years. Yeah. Um, so when we are getting married, he said to me, three words of advice. He said, never get married, never have kids, never go camping and he said if you do all those things he said you'll be all right in life and i've done like i kind of enjoy all those things so but i never took it he's married of course as yeah well. i seem to remember him turning up at what was that festival that you like did that we were all at down in sussex he had a big winner baker <laughs> so every time we've done latitude or yeah, I, yeah. He, he never he goes i don't camp so he, he hires <laughs> he hires a winner baker that's still technically camping though it is, but I think he likes. A, he doesn't want to put a tent up. I think no, his, camp, his idea of camping is putting a tent up. But oh, okay. I've. Uh, okay. Oh, I was say. I think it, if you hear a little pitter patter, it means it started raining on oh, my it's roof. One of my favourite sounds, mate. Yeah. yeah. We sat in the sat in the rain with, on one episode. So, so you're getting married. Have you considered yeah, yeah. what makes a good relationship? Because you've obviously, you've obviously, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. You're not a young. You're not a young pup anymore. So you didn't dive no. straight in and get. No. Get married at a whim. You've no. thought about this. We've been together for five years, um, so uh, I, I guess I'm learning as I go along. Right? I think mm. that's the beauty of it, and I, I suppose you never stop learning. But so far, what I've realised, having made numerous mistakes, yeah, yeah, I think it's the cli- maybe it's cliche, but communication, I think, mm. is a is a key one. Like, I'll give you an example. Massive one. Sometimes it's like things are, are are lost in your own translation, right? Yeah. When earlier on, when one of the first times we'd had a bit of a falling out, she felt like I wasn't um, del- like including her in things, right? And one of the one of the things she said to me was like, you know, you never tell me about the gigs that you do, right? You know, the only way I seem to find out is if I look on your on your your Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I sat down and thought about it, and I was like, well, this, I quite, with the gigs, I always, I'll always stick them on my little pages and whatnot, and send emails out and stuff. But I never, very rarely, directly invite people because I always yeah, feel yeah. like I don't want to. It's not because I'm, I'm not trying to hide anything. It's more like I don't want people feel like they They've have come. to come. Don't burden them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that's why I put it out. I say, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> want to come? Great. If you don't, that's fine. I yeah. don't want to feel like they feel like they have to come. Whereas, I, I'd never occurred to me that particularly someone who's who's really close is that. Oh no, this feels like you're deliberately keeping me away. I was like, no, 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 no. It's not. I love it when she comes. Yeah, she yeah, cherry yeah. Pi- she cherry picks the best gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on the guest list. Yeah, yeah, ones. yeah. She cherry but picks the good ones. But... I think I think the communication one's interesting because with some people. There's probably a handful of people that you don't have to say very much, but you you're all on the same track. You 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 understand each other well enough that you don't have to say much. But yeah. there's other people that you have to explain 
quite a lot what you mean to communicate the idea what you're yeah, trying to yeah. so my best mate I can I could just say one word and he'll get it and we'll we're off and there's no uh, there's no breakdown of communication. Is that, is that an understanding? Does it take a long time to arrive at that? Well, point? look, this is what. I, but in a in a long relationship, I find you change as a person. Mm. You can't. You cannot stay the same. It's impossible. All your cells are changing, aren't they? Within yeah. seven years, you're a completely different person, yeah. and that happens. You know, so the person that you're with is going to be a completely different person as well, yeah. and. Uh, Oh, I think that's the. If there's, you can hear the 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 tile cutter next door as well. It's all happening, kicking off in the shed. What's that? <laughs> yeah, it's like I think the next door having some tiles put down. So, but but I'm saying you, the to go back to the thing is you you change as a person. Yeah. So the the thoughts that you would have had when you first get together aren't the same yeah, yeah. as when you you're you you get older and your your ideals change and the key to it is trying to stay communicate really well and trying to stay on the same track going yeah, to yeah. the same direction yeah because i think as soon as you start moving off in different directions go well actually i want to go over here and that person wants to go over here then i think there's a complete breakdown of uh, and it through nobody's fault it doesn't even have to be a horrible thing yeah it could be um just that oh we want to do different things now um and but lack of it, it's really i mean it's an amazing, hurtful thing, isn't it, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think also knowing when to when to say things and when not. Mm. Uh, push and pull, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking very vaguely here, but I don't know. Sometimes it's, you don't always need to communicate everything on your mind. And also, I think the pressures are... Like, so Gina has a very pressurised job. She's a midwife. So yeah. she can be dealing with life-threatening situations and having to come home after doing those sort of things and I I don't want to put myself in that I could never be in in that situation so uh, that's a massive thing you know that my my life is not pressurized in the same way yeah as uh, as what Gina's is Um, anything else you want to add on that back rubs I mean, that's a good, good, good thing to a good relationship. Oh, or, or tools to give the back rubs because Gina wants such a, you know, she wants. Oh, you, you're on an advanced level, by she wants to be to like I can't push hard enough. Oh right, on, okay. to, For the back rub. Okay. So you know, I, you know, I need a tool to press in there because she's like she's so knotted up. You know, it's probably just living with me. <laughs> for, the, for the last yeah, for the last 16 odd years so that's probably it so um communication and back rubs yeah back rubs mate yeah but i'd agree with that so and maybe not not having that pushing for that last drink when you're out because you have one more because yeah. it's only me that's doing that yeah knowing when to go no no this is this but you you've probably saved uh, a few people's relationships just if they've listened to this kind of <laughs> oh that's what i'm doing wrong i'm not so. talking enough i'm not you know yeah, yeah. But as you say, also talking at the right moments. Know when to hold your tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak about it the next day. Yeah. Um, and then instead of speaking, do a back rub. You learn from your failures, though, right? That's the, yeah. that's the beauty about all of this stuff. And for me, a lot of the writing poems and whatnot is just using that as a tool to to analyse what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, Puts so. it in order, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find it helpful in that way yeah I do yeah 
Brilliant. Well, uh, you've been listening to uh, Paul Cree. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Man. Thanks for coming. Second on. time in here as well. It's, it is. Yeah, you've done an original. Yeah. We've we've done an original uh, Facebook Live did, thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to do a probably a Facebook Live um, book launch. Oh yeah. As well. So oh, I'll probably boy. invite a few people around to come. You and invite the whole world. I don't. Know, yeah. How many <laughs> people can we fit in this shed? Probably twenty at most. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you reckon? Fifteen. Yeah, probably. Yeah, be, be standing room only. Yeah, it'd be like a gig. It's supposed to be like a gig. Oh, right, okay. You know, get people on the. Oh, yeah, you get fifteen. Get a few people to do a few turns yeah. on the on the on the video. Oh, mate. Read a few poems from the new book. That'll be in September anyway. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've been Dan Cockrell. You've been listening to Poet Waffle, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell, original concept by Jack White, music and audio production by Julian Ward, artwork by Damien Wayhill, and technical support from Laurie Eaves.